evening, Nancy Aramo. <laughs> Good evening, Sarah Heppel. That's not our usual opening. Yeah. M- me cursing right out of the gate. But it should be. But do I, is it, I think I get a pass on this. It's been a little, a little frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, smoking listeners. Guess what? A very exciting thing is happening. Sarah Heppel and I are, we're actually, we're, it's crossfire, right? Yeah. Because <clears throat> we're going to debate the issues of 19, um, 80, 92. Yeah. Uh, yes, we're sitting with our, you know, I have my little, uh, let's see, my little tortoiseshell glasses, and we're sitting across the table from each other in the studio in Chinatown. Do you like this tie? I do like that tie. I like that skinny tie. Yeah. You. That's good. Good. Um, anyway, we're here together, and we are going to make a little recording for you, even though today has been pretty topsy-turvy, including a lot of tech difficulties. I would like to say something about that. This, no. Yes, I'm saying it. This studio is so janky, and I am fixing it. And you saw you saw my architectural drawing that I'm showing you, which I will show to, to the listeners. These yeah. are your lower intestines. <laughs> I am gonna I am gonna clean up the studio. There's so many people in and out of here. It's like and everything's such a wreck when you get in here. I'm gonna fix it. I am going to fix it. Why don't you name the problem? No. Why don't you name the problem? It's not the problem is a lot of things. It's not I think it's got three names. It doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. Though I do like I do I will say when you come in after the fifth guys have recorded, there is always a nice empty bottle of wine on the floor, which is very sweet. I, I, I have no problem with that. So, no, I... You There's know really weird toothpaste in the bathroom, too. I bought that. I bought that at the at the, at the the store around the corner where everything is from... Like, it fell off the back of a truck around the corner. <laughs> yeah. So, um... Uh, so, I'm going to put a little that drawing, because it's a really high-class um, uh, architectural drawing, which our, our pal Dave Cicciarelli, the designer who makes these... Has this incredible studio in New York... He saw it and he's like, "Wow, that's that's really impressive." I'm actually thinking of Dave, maybe getting Dave in here to help me, um, help me, um, spiff this place up. So, do Dave, you want to do a podcast or, or do no? You I want to talk about my studio. A, yeah. Okay. okay, let's do a podcast. So, yeah. why are we? Why are we here? Why are you in? Uh, why are you in New York City? I was sentenced. Um, <laughs> I got. Uh, this is a probationary measure that uh, I had to do um, a year of hard time doing a podcast with you. Yeah. And so your penance was to either like work in the salt mines for a month yeah. or come to New York for five days. Exactly. It was hard. It was a hard call. Because I like salt. Yeah. I, there we go. So um, so instead, um, Madam Hepler came to New York and we had a really, really lovely um, in-person meetup with some lovely smoking pads last night. Yes. Oh, yeah. We, we had a... We, I, I'm having um, a throat problem and I apologize. I don't have easy access to my mute button so I can show off how good I am at it. So I might have to like... Do you want me to just... Why don't you... Why don't you go talk, talk. I'm going to talk. I'm going to tell people. you. I'm going to charm people. So um, we had our, our little uh, get-together last night at a friend of mine's bar here in the Lower East Side. It's called Victoria with an exclamation point. It's owned by someone named... Uh, uh, that I knew... I'm not going to name him because who knows if he wants his name after. Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. My boyfriend, Joe Rogan. You know, he did. He opened the comedy club in Austin and he opened a bar to near me. He's like, Nancy, we got to have a little hideaway. Anyway, it was really nice. We had some people come and it was like different ages, all 
different interests. But not different genders. No, only only the ladies showed up last night. We had a ladies only. Party. That's right. And uh, this is a podcast for the ladies. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's that's my specialty. Um, anyway, it was great. It was like and then we um, Sarah and I went out and had a light supper, a very sophisticated light supper down the street. And uh, and we didn't get too rowdy. So that was good. Um, it was super fun. And thank you for coming. And it was lovely to meet the people that have made this podcast journey um, so meaningful. And we hope to do it again. And Victoria is a very cool bar. If you find yourself in the Chinatown area, it's Victoria with what we call a slamma. A slamma. Uh, it's 253 Eldridge. So it's really just down the street from me. So it was really nice. And um, and now we've been just kind of getting a whole bunch of other stuff done, a whole bunch of work stuff and just talking about some... Um, some things that happened today. Yeah, but I want to announce that this is a special one-year anniversary episode of Smoke oh. Em If You Got Em. So I don't want people to think we're just going to talk about the news and culture and things that we do. We, I've got special things planned that I, you don't even know about, I don't, Nancy Rommelman. I don't. I don't know. I actually don't know. You've been in my apartment all for the past four days, and I know nothing because you come into the studio and you— I hired dancers, it, and they're coming soon. Right on. Okay. Dancers are great on audio, by the way. <laughs> we just tell you how great they look. All right, well, come on. Hit us with the special— No, you stuff. told me you wanted—don't do that. You told me that you wanted to do the Tucker stuff first. I just wanted to announce— That there will be special There will things. be things, and in case somebody was just like— I only came for a special year-end anniversary show. I'm not going to listen to this news stuff. Well, what happened today, I guess it was a, a little before noon when I first saw it. Uh, Tucker Carlson, as they put it, Tucker Carlson and Fox News have parted ways. As anyone that's been paying attention to the news knows, um, uh, Fox had to cough up, I think it was $787.5 million to Dominion voting systems for um, basically spreading false uh, rumors about them. The fact that they, you know, they didn't do their job during the election and Trump really won. Well, as it turned out that, you know, a lot of people at Fox knew that this was all garbage. And so then the back channels and in the Slack and in the texts, they were saying, you know, terrible things about Trump and about his lawyers and all this stuff. And anyway, so it was very interesting because when this first we first got wind that this was going to happen what, six or seven weeks ago, I remember Matt Welch saying it's a very, very high bar to prove defamation. It's going to be, you know, we don't really. Know right. That. I don't think they would have necessarily won the case. That's they right. just didn't want to try the case. They settled. They settled. They didn't want Rupert Murdoch and all those people going up and having to testify. Um, so anyway, you know, one of the main sort of people kind of saying one thing on the air, you know, having Trump on and talking about how, you know, you know, he's being railroaded and he really won the election. Uh, but it, but behind the scenes was saying pretty nasty stuff was was Carlson. Of course, he's their big star. I don't I I'm not going to even speculate about what the exact reasons were, but I can understand it. I can understand saying, you know, we got to maybe cut this off right now. Well, you know, he get he get he makes the most money in the building. I mean, I, I don't know if he makes more than he does make more than Rupert, but he's the highest paid. Well, so then his salary can go to pay some of that money exactly. that's owed. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, it, it, it. I was talking to somebody that uh, a friend of mine that that is works inside Fox, and you know, she was saying, look, there are other people that were really more at fault here. Uh, there was a specific name that I can't remember, but, you know, Tucker didn't do himself any favors. And from a optics standpoint, 
it will look a lot better for Fox to part ways with him than for the guy behind the scenes whose name nobody knows. That's right. It won't be the bloodletting that people want. What I find um, so surprising, and maybe I shouldn't, because when people get like super, super big, like they think they're sort of invincible because maybe they've been invincible. Like they've, you know, maybe they should have been dinged, but they weren't. But the idea of writing these things in a text, even to a friend, don't you remember? It's like, don't... You're so much more careful about that than most people are. Really? Oh, way more careful. Oh, I, I am... You wouldn't believe the stuff I put in text. Oh, I... No, I, I, I definitely don't. I, I, if I have to say something, like I, so I had to talk to someone and I was like, you know what? I want to... Let's talk on the phone. If it's business, I'll do that. Like, if it's... If it's um, you know, like at Salon, if I was going to have a hard conversation with somebody or if it was going to be legal matters or anything like that, I always called them. But um, no, I, I I don't want to live like I'm under investigation. I understand that. But I mean, this is not smart of Tucker Carlson. I, I don't think so. Even if those are his real feelings, he's writing to other anchors or, yeah, I th- other anchors and personalities at the network. They're saying one thing on the air and the back channel, they're saying something and pretty nasty stuff. It's not smart, but I don't know that I would agree that it's like particularly stupid. I mean, I think that uh, he must have been getting away with a lot of different things. Sure. Now, you said something interesting this morning. You said that you thought that um, he may have been saying these things because it was the brand. It's the Fox brand. You know, people, you're giving people. Oh, well, my only point was you were saying, you know, he I, came in and you said, fuck around and find out. I did. I, I What I said was I also, you know, yes, it is. It's it's what what we assume because we really don't know what the Fox viewer wants. But I was saying he's, he's also creating the appetite for it. Right. So it's, yeah. you know, I just said I don't I, I've heard from people that know Tucker Carlson that he used to be kind of a cool dude. And I don't know him. I've never met him. I don't really even have an opinion about him because I haven't watched him enough. I do know that he's the most popular pundit on television, and he's not going to go away. Well, it'll be interesting to see because apparently he did used to be not exactly like the personality he has on Fox. I haven't followed his career, so I don't know. But it will be interesting to see if he makes a turn. Maybe he can either just continue to be this big, giant, splashy personality, or maybe he can speak a little more what he really believes. I thought it was uh, Camille had that funny little uh, little video up of uh, of uh, Miami Vice. So it's like him and um, uh, Don Lemon riding into the sunset. Yeah, it was uh, Sonny Crockett and right philip michael hall or i've just yeah, i don't confused everybody's yeah. name <laughs> miami vice i'll find it sunny bono and share yeah from miami that's right. vice that's... <laughs> um i don't know yeah i don't Am know I ever gonna clear this frog in my throat no you you have to start to... i think i have the frog chair <clears throat> excuse me um and then who else uh who else was told to take a walk today no don lemon don lemon I mean, just just kind of funny on the same day, people that are kind of polar opposites on the ideological spectrum for the past three or four or five years, a lot of shoutiness, and both of them sort of got the gate today. Um, uh, Don Lemon, I assumed when I first saw that he did, it was because of the kind of ridiculous stuff he said about six weeks ago on the air about how, well, you know, women of a certain age. What was it like if you're over 30, they take you into a field and shoot you? Something yeah, that's, like that's, that. That's, that's a paraphrase for sure. <laughs> but it was, no, I said that women over 35 weren't in their prime. Right. I think. I think what he meant, and if I'm being charitable, maybe he meant like their 
birth? Fertility. Fertility. But it's kind of, it just didn't, and then he dug, he dug himself a deeper hole. But in fact, that was not apparently why he was let go. He was let go because last Wednesday, he was on the air with a Republican presidential candidate named Vivek Ramaswamy, who I've only seen the clip, so I, I can't give it full context. But apparently, Ramaswamy was arguing or suggesting that, um, number one, uh, black people in America are a lot freer since whatever the 60s. Civil rights. Since civil rights. And one of the reasons is because of the Second Amendment. And that didn't go over well with Lemon, whose producer was trying to tell him something in his ear so that he would kind of have the facts, but he didn't want to listen to it or he couldn't hear it. And then he he got pretty hot under the collar. Not that I necessarily think this other dude had a point, but as uh, Sarah and I were just eating dinner and I was like, it would be sort of like you're on the you're on the air. You're you're not doing this show for yourself. And it would be like having a dinner party with people and then just yelling at one of your guests. Um, It was uh, it was not. Do we know that that's why he was let go? Like, has has CNN said that? Or did you just re- read that on Ben Dreyfus? Ben Dreyfus said it. And yeah, so I don't, I, that feels really speculative. Well, I will, uh, it, uh, the Ben Dreyfus, it said the segment that got Don Lemon fired was everything wrong with cable news. We will put a link to it and we can, uh, and we'll find, maybe we'll find out more by the time I write up the show notes. So we shall, we shall see. Um, but do you think, you know, do you think this, is indicative of any kind of turn in the news? We've had a pretty shouty news cycle for the past five years. I think cable news is in a lot of trouble. And I think those are sort of heavyweights in the cable news category. And I think as cable news continues to lose viewership to, you know, just everything, everything that's yep. that's competing for those eyeballs. And also because their primary demographic, I'm sorry to say, is dying. That's true. They're in their 70s, I think. Yeah. And so, you know, they're going to have to figure out ways to stay afloat. And I don't know that having those those people make sense for them anymore. God damn it. <clears throat> this is crazy. I mean, I do. I know it's because of the smoking, but it's like I, I, normally I don't have this chronic thing. And I think maybe it's the Chinese food that we ate. Yeah, or it could be because you've been spending the mornings with the morning doves out on the fire escape. Maybe you inhaled some of their feathers. <laughs> so weird. Um, yeah, we'll have a little uh, have a little fire escape, which Sarah, what do you call it? The patio? The balcony? The balcony. The balcony. And then Sarah spends a little time out there in the mornings. Um, but you, you you missed the part where the morning dove th- found me so special. That the morning dove hung out with me. That's true. And they do not hang out with me. And I'm the one that feeds them. So I'm, I don't, I don't know what's happening here. I'm just not, I'm just not popular. I've got good morning dove vibes. Yeah. Um, what else do we want? Oh, we wanted to talk very, very quickly. Oh, so briefly. So briefly. Okay. Obviously, everybody that has a pulse has heard that the people got their blue check marks taken away. My dad hasn't heard that, and he, he has a pulse. He does have a pulse, and your dad is very handsome. He looks oh, like Harrison Ford. So I, I always have to mention that. So I would just, I, I got a blue check mark. I don't know when, a couple of years ago. I didn't care that I got it. I didn't care that I lose it. I didn't say anything about it online. I just don't care. It just doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything that people want to argue about it. It doesn't mean if people want to pay for it because then they get some editing things. That's absolutely fine. If people want to think that these people are the 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 pretenders. I don't care. I li- This is literally the first word I've said about it, except to tell you previously that I don't care. I just don't care. Here's the thing. 
I don't know whose idea it was to introduce blue check marks. You know, the idea was to kind of give authenticity to certain brands and media personalities. I was never given one. I don't know why. Um, I think it's strange, but I also know that a lot of people that got them were aligned with publications. You weren't, but a lot of people were. Um, I thought it was kind of a drag to watch people that like had two years in journalism get a blue check mark when I had requested one and been denied. It's oh yeah oh I didn't I, sorry I don't yeah okay because a lot of people just got them and then there was at some point that I was like oh okay I need to request one so I did and I didn't I didn't get it you know who also didn't get one and he talked about it online is Thomas Chatterton Williams who's yeah. got a couple hundred thousand followers. And he kind of made a little thing about it. I mean, it was important to him, I guess. It was about a year and a half ago, or just maybe important to ask why. Well, what bothered me was when I started learning that um, blue checks were getting preferential placement in, like, you know, amplification and and Twitter replies and things like that. Like, there were all sorts of kind of, like, invisible levers that were being moved. And so that bothered me. And then I think it also bothered me that, you know, when people, when I'm doing my reporting, people go to Twitter and then it's like, oh, well, this person doesn't even have a blue check mark. Are they really a journalist? So it it felt out of my hands. And uh, it felt, you know, I've had 25 years in this profession. I'm a best-selling writer and I've won national magazine, like national awards. So it, it seems strange. Um. A few months ago, a good friend of mine, Amanda Fortini, she also never got a check, which is ridiculous. She she worked for The New Yorker. And she said to me, um, I, I saw that she had a blue check and she said, oh, yeah, I pay, I pay for Twitter blue. It's so great because you can edit your tweets. And I was like, oh, I thought kind of like only tools were doing that. And she was like, honestly, you know, $8 is worth it to me to be able to yeah. edit my tweets. And I thought, you know, it is for me too. And I realized that my hang up about the whole thing had been that I didn't want to look a certain way, which I thought was so silly, was so foolish. And so I coughed up the $8 a month. I would gladly do it. I didn't want a check mark necessarily, but one appeared. And, you know, it's just become such a thing. I remember when it showed up, a friend of mine like totally was like, why do you have a, like, he was like mad at me. You know, he was like, like playfully mad, but he was like side eyeing me. And, and I said, you know, I, I'm a professional writer. If I'm going to get dragged for a typo, it actually be better to be able to fix it. It would be better to be able to fix it. So anyway, um, then there was this whole kerfuffle where Elon Musk took the blue check marks away from the people yep. that had been legacy verified, you know, media verified. And the the kind of explosion of people saying, I don't care, was your best indication that they care deeply. No, it is. I mean, if they said it online, you mean? Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I think I think when you make a point to repeatedly say that you don't care, I question that if that's true. I always. Always. And I think, um, you know, the other thing that bothered me immensely was the sort of pivot from checks don't mean anything, I don't care if I have one, to if you have one, it actually means you're a tool of this, of this, you know, evil arm and, and this technocrat. And why did you do that? So there was a certain amount of like what losers paid for their check marks. And we're going to like, they will now be revealed. And, you know, I had that moment and I've had a few on social media where it's like, 
this just feels, first of all, this feels like a middle school classroom. Second of all, you know, I'm sorry to say that like, yeah, I I do care how people see me. I, I, I wouldn't know how to be somebody that doesn't care how people see me. I care deeply. And I was glad to see Sean Ono, Sean Lennon Ono, um, who's, I, for, I didn't even know I followed him on Twitter, but, you know, saying like, hey, I I think it's great to be able to to edit your tweets and I don't mind paying $8 a month and why don't we cut this out? And, uh, you know, I I think this is silly and I think that people are showing their ass in terms of how much they do care about status. I, I, people were yelling about it a lot last week. It just didn't, it just rolled off my back. It's just not, it's not an interesting conversation for me to have one way or the other. But you're the one that brought this up. Because it's been in the news we, and we've talked about it ourselves. Um, I but, know, but I'm just saying you've said twice you don't want to talk about it. You're the one that wanted to talk about this. I thought because it's just a new, it's been a new, something that's been in the news. Uh, I didn't understand if people were going on Twitter and having big fits one way or the other. I just don't, it's like, there's so many other things to write about and talk about. Like if you're a news person, then go do some news. I understand why it's news for a day or two. And of course, everything Musk is doing is, you know, he eats a a cheese sandwich instead of a peanut butter sandwich and people are going to make hay over it. Um, I think he's also has not been, I listened to uh, Jesse and Katie today on Blocked and Reported, and they had a pretty good point. Like he's very, very good at certain things. He's not very good at reading people. And I, oh God, I, I kind no. of I kind of really agree with that. It's like, how do you unless you want everybody to just be sort of running around feeling sort of like flapping around like chickens, like then why are you? It's just not well thought out. And um, I, this just seems to be yet another sort of thing he's tripped over. One thing I do actually care about and I, I care about it a lot is the whole deal that he did with Substack. This is actually pissing me off because I cannot do certain things with my Substack, Make More Pie, or with our Substack, Smoke Them, because I can no longer embed things. I can no longer embed video. If I had a tweet thread, if I wanted to link, for instance, to something like I'm making notes right now, something that I sort of, I can't do it anymore. When I want to post, when I want to say, hey, we've got a new episode out, no images will show up on Twitter anymore. That does, that I care about. Well, it's interesting. It's a private company now. It's owned by one guy and and he's going to make decisions that are going to play or they won't play. Well, obviously there's going to be workarounds. Like for instance, today I was like, okay, so I can't, I can no longer go from um, Substack and post uh, that we've got a new episode on Twitter because all you'll get is like a little line of text. But I can do it from Apple I could do it from Apple Podcasts or I can do it from Spotify and you'll still get the images. So, you know what? You figure out workarounds when something's been taken away from you. Um, so that's all I have to say about Twitter. But I, I also just think it just seems kind of small. I think you want to give people more ways to share. You want to give them more ways to show information. And he's not doing that. You're grinning over there. Yeah, because you'll find out why. Okay, go for it. <clears throat> Nancy, are you ready? Are you ready for your uh, the celebration of one year of hell that you've spent with me? <laughs> I don't know. What's up? I have a I have a series of questions that I've written for you. Okay, I, I this is true. Did you chat? Did you peek? I did not peek. I'm looking at the back of your phone. Actually, you've got a super cool super graphics on the back of your phone. That is a really really cool circuit seventy eight baby. Really cool. 
You got to buy stuff from Circa 78. I've I've never heard of it. Oh, it's the coolest design store. Okay. Okay. Because you love that 70s. I do. I love that 70s. Like I do. Okay. Why did you want to do a podcast with me and why was that the biggest mistake of your life? Believe me, it was not the biggest mistake of my life. Uh, I wanted to do a podcast with you because we started talking and it just kept the conversation just kind of kept going. I'd also I'd actually also wanted to do it. I've been, you know, recording my stuff myself. I'd been doing stuff with Matt Welch. I'd been doing stuff with Liz Wolf. But I wanted to have a regular weekly thing. And I really wanted to do it with a partner. And all of a sudden it wasn't like I was like, oh, wow, maybe I could do it with Sarah Heffler. We just started having the conversation. And it just rolled. And I was like, we should do this. Was there a moment when you knew? Um, I can't say that there was, except that we were about to, I think, record our fourth episode. And I was like, this is, we're already doing this. Because it was like a phone call where like at the end of the episode, we'd be like, oh, we got to do this again. And so suddenly you go from like talking every week to talking every day because you can't, because you keep right. finding new things you want to talk about. I think that is what happens. So there was a, remember the, 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 uh, I think she was on PBS, Cokie Roberts. Do you remember that? Sure, name? of course. She wrote, I, God, I was like a kid when this came out. She wrote a book about her marriage. And I remember her, some line in it, or maybe it was like in the advertisement. She's like, you know, a good marriage is just, you just have one long conversation. It's just like the whole marriage. You're just having one long conversation. That's beautiful. So, yes. So you're, you, you're like my Cokie Roberts husband. Listen, this is, Mr. This Roberts. is the healthiest relationship <laughs> I've ever had. Um. <clears throat> Do you remember any other names we considered for the podcast? Uh, for oh, to call this? Yeah. No, no, I don't. Okay, so th- this is why I was laughing because I found my list in my phone. Oh God! And I don't know if these are <laughs> things that we came up with or things I came up with. All right, I really would like you to share in the blame for this, but I'm not sure. Okay. Okay, so one of them is Letters and Sodas, which is a Liz Fair reference. I, that it's was too cute by half. That was you. I, I mean, I like it. I love the song. I think it's, I understand it, but I, it would not have been me. Infinite Joy. Definitely not. That sounds like, like you. No. Oh, there is no way. Yeah, you're always like talking nope. about infinite joy. You're like, it's just <laughs> not even a little bit of joy. It's infinite joy. Wrong. This next one, Loud in Bed. That was definitely you. <laughs> What a terrible idea. I I have to imagine that I was in a no bad ideas phase of brainstorming. None of these even sound familiar except maybe letters and soda. I don't think you even read the other one. Check out this other one. Vow of noise. Okay, Sarah, you I I have no idea what you're I've never seen. I swear to God. I've never seen Vow of Noise. I I don't even know. That sounds like a heavy metal band. I was going to say it sounds or like a Christian heavy metal band. Traitors to the cause. No, no, this, this is your private internalized misogyny. Well, I wouldn't have come up with that as a name. Punch drunk. Uh I actually have a story that I wrote called Punch Drunk. And the last one is Shadow Band with a Slamma. <laughs> No, no. I, this is your private list, girl. It's on your phone. So, yeah, that's your private list. I don't remember. I mean, we had girls talk because we had the song, but I don't um, I don't really remember any other ones. Do you think that this uh, podcast would have done better or worse if we had called it Vow of Noise? I, I think I would have dipped after episode <laughs> two. So, 
But you'd made a vow of noise. Yeah. You can't yeah. dip. That's those are those are um, I don't know legally binding. Um, okay, you mentioned our main theme song. Yep. What is it, and how did you come across it? Girls talk. Uh, I love that song. It's Dave Edmonds. I've loved that song for 30 years. I love the Elvis Costello version. Um, and I just thought we're going to use a little snip of it because it's punchy. It's fun. It's like it's a it, we use it. What's like 12 seconds or something. And it's just like it's fun. It gets people and then they know it's like, oh, it's coming on. I mean, we could have been like people that had the music written for us or you can go to a place and like just pick a bunch of sounds and that's fine I'm, i people have really really i actually love the blocked and reported one that like doom, 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 doom. So it's uh, kind of a cool sound i love the fifth columns yeah I think, super sexy. I think camille had that um had that done but um yeah i just i just liked it i thought it was fun and we are girls talking and you know um i had never heard the song before are you serious no i never heard it oh so it, elvis costello wrote it and dave edmonds sings it and it's from like the seventies. Uh, so Elvis Costello, gosh, maybe it was from the late seventies, late seventies, cusp of eighty, something like that. Um, do you have a favorite moment from the past year with me on this podcast? Um, I really loved your Johnny Depp reporting, your De Amber Heard and Johnny Depp reporting. I was riveted. By it, I also love that you did it because I'm going to tell a tale now on Sarah. We were talking, I, I don't think we were talking on the air, um, but she said something like, you know, I just, I just really want to go to the trial. And I was like, then go. And she's like, I'm going. <laughs> I was like, that was, it was that easy. You just get a plane ticket. And uh, you went and you committed to it. And um, I think, I think that's probably, I don't know what our biggest episode is. I've never looked that up. You probably have because you're better at the metrics than I am. Um, but it was, um, it was amazing reporting, Sarah. It's, you know, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just a one reporting. And that makes me very proud um, oh. of you. Thanks, and it woman. makes it, it makes it, it makes me also like super excited that we have listeners that wanted to come along. You know, not everybody, it's not everybody's cup of tea. Obviously, it's a huge story. But then, you know, you wrote a 10,000-word story. People read this story. That's like, it's really something else. So I would say that's probably, for me, is the the, the cream. Mm, thank you. You're welcome. Um, so I have two moments. <clears throat> One is when I was in the studio for the first time, and we took Pop Rocks together. <laughs> because I think it's awesome audio. I think it's ridiculous and it's hilarious and it makes me laugh every time I think about it. The other one for me is uh, when when I talked about my abortion with you. And the reason that's so special to me is that I had never spoken about that publicly. I trusted you as somebody to talk with me about that, to kind of put that out in the world. Um, I thought that it was a unique personal story during a time of kind of convulsive cultural change and political mayhem. And I thought that we handled it, both of us handled it so well. And I, I think, <clears throat> I can't remember if that was before or after the Johnny Depp moment, but, but to before, me, I think it was before. To me, I, it stands out as this, 
I think from the time that we were beginning this podcast, I was sort of always asking the question of what can we do that other people can't do because there's so many podcasts. Yeah. You know, but you have to ask this when you write a story or when you write a memoir, like or when you write a book, like what can I do that hasn't that other people aren't doing? Otherwise, why am I doing it? Is it just to like you know, hear my voice. That's fine. But I wanted more. I wanted more for us. And we hadn't really nailed it down in part because we had only just begun to use a carpenter's line since I know that you love them. I do. And it was the this moment when I was like, oh, this this is what we could do. You know, we could put stories into the world, you know, and, and be kind of calm voices at a time when it felt like nothing was calm. Well, it was it was because Roe v. Wade was being challenged. I think that's what precipitated Absolutely. the conversation. And I've said this before on the podcast, I really do think it's our job to present things calmly. I did, a, I was in Portland last week and I was invited to speak at a private club to about 40, 50 people and mostly older, uh, probably 60s, even 70s. Um, and they were sort of asking me after I gave the presentation, like, what's going on with the news? Like, why can't we feel that we can trust the news? Why aren't people, why are people making things hysterical? What about the clickbait, this and that? And I, and I said, look, it's, I really think it's our job as journalists, to bring things as calmly as you can to give people the information they need. And the analogy I give was like, let's say you're, you know, you crash on top of a mountain, the plane crashes, and there's 17 of you left. And do you want someone standing there going, I can't believe we're going to die with you? Or do you want someone saying, look, it's 3.2 miles, we're going to figure it out, we're going to do this. And I think that's our job. I think it's our job to be not hysterical. So, um, yeah, I don't think we get very hysterical on this show. So um, I'd also like in, on that note, you, this is very personal to you. I'd like to say a thank you to you, but also to the listeners. Um, as some of you know, and some of you are like, if she does it again, I'm going to cancel my subscription. I, I will continually, I'm sorry to tell you or glad to tell you, be reporting about Portland. Oh, and, we love it. I love and it. I'm, and if you don't love it, I'm sorry, but the rest of us do. <laughs> no, but but just thank you. And I know I throw the audio up there sometimes. I did it this past Sunday instead of talking to you about Pi. Um, and you you publish something on Sunday and, and I just, I get the emails that come in when people make comments. You know, it comes to my email. And, and so all Sunday, I'm getting all these emails that are like, you are an amazing writer. And I'm like, thank you. And then, and then I open it up and it's a comment for your story. And I'm like, oh, never mind. That's so but cute. people gave you That's so cute. much yeah. love. They were really, Thank you really everybody. vibing with this story yes. that you wrote. Thank and so if you haven't checked that out, what's the name of it? It's called, well, so Portland, Dispatch from Portland 2023, this one is called The Death Eaters. And it was not a story I had anticipated writing when I went out there. So um, maybe the reason it resonated because it was, <laughs> it resonated with me too. It was, um, it was not, I wasn't anticipating what I found. So... Um, okay. Next yes. question. Yes. What was the worst moment on this podcast of the last year? I don't know. I don't have anything particularly terrible. I don't think. And we've, we've lost some episodes due to technical difficulties. Um, I don't know. Do you have a, is there a bad one? Well, I do. <clears throat> yeah, but it didn't go on air. Uh, it was a time that I broke down crying. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That was, well, but you know what? That didn't go in here for a couple of reasons. First of all, we were unsure about certain things. And then there was this big technical blow up and it was just just as well. But yeah, that was, um, 
that was emotional. Yeah. So about four months into the podcast, I was having a really hard time and I was really, really anxious before the pot. Like I wouldn't know what to say. And I don't know if you've ever like had to speak and then like the, the closer you get to it, the more you're like, whatever you had to say is like disappearing from your brain. Like invisible like, ink. <laughs> totally. It's like receding <laughs> yeah. at the very moment that you need it. And I would over prepare and then under deliver. I mean, I was just aware of this. I know myself really well. And sometimes if I over prepare, I get so wound up that I start to stumble. It's it's bad. And I was all sorts of like jangly. And um, I don't remember, I think I was talking about something and then I just stopped and I was like, Nancy, I got, and I just burst into tears. And it was clear we were like going to need to pause the, you know, the episode. It was just not like, this was not good audio. Um, but it was awful and you were very calm with me. I remember closing my eyes and I, I feel like in my memory, you did like a guided meditation with me. Knowing you, I know that you didn't do a guided meditation. <laughs> no. no, no, I know. I know. But I'm just saying that it had that effect. It had a very calming effect. And, you know, we we ended up, you know, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I thought I just knocked over my water, but I didn't. Um <clears throat> We ended up doing another, you know, 45 minutes or something. And and I think, like you said, we ditched that episode in the end. But. Yep. Uh, so it's funny that you say, it, I don't know, it reminded me of my daughter. When my daughter was little, um, she would occasionally get anxiety attacks. It's just something I, I didn't, you know, I hadn't suffered the, from them. First time I saw it, I was like, what's happening here? But I, because I am her mother and we're so connected, I had the... Um, the ability to calm her, you know, like just with my hands or my breath or her breathing, and we would do it, and she would get calm. And about a couple of years ago, um, she was having, she was feeling anxious, and she was in New York, and I did the exact same thing, but over the phone, mm. and it calmed her down. So maybe, maybe um, I had some practice. So if it was calming <clears throat> for you, it's because I, I practiced on my girl. Absolutely. What is the hardest part of doing this? Well, I was going to say once a week, but it's, you know, the the time, sometimes it's twice a week, sometimes it's every other week. What's the hard, hardest part? Um, I don't find the recording hard at all. Um, sometimes the tech can be a bit of a bear. Um, I'm not particularly good at it, but like someone's got to do it, right? Um, uh, I don't really find it hard. I think after I got over that hump, you know, it, 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 there was some sort of resistance in me to, to having, it was almost like, I, I've done this a lot in my life. There's a really funny thing where I do where I barge into a room and I'm like, I demand everyone's attention. And then I get everyone's attention and I'm like, oh, I, I have nothing Just to say. Kidding. I, 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 why is everybody <laughs> looking at me? I've done this so many times in my career. And so I will, I will, what happens is that I start out super confident. And then as I'm doing it, I start to learn how much I don't know. And it makes me lose confidence. And so after I got out over that hump, <clears throat> uh, which was like maybe like a month later, um, the talking part with you just came really easily. It just didn't. That's never a problem. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with news if I'm working on a lot of other issues, um, stories and deadlines and things like that. For me, the hardest part, there's probably two hard parts. One is the time slog of the episode notes. And and we're going to chat about what, you know how we do those. We may change up how we do them because it is a, 
a big, big time sink. And I'm not convinced that people, you know, necessarily use them to the full extent that we are spending so much time on. That was not a good sentence, but you get where I'm saying, where I'm going with that. <laughs> I'm not sure that people are using them enough to justify the amount of time that they take. Hmm. Um, the other thing I think is hard is I think there's a weird awkwardness to having a podcast. Like when people go like, oh, you have a podcast. What's it about? And I'm like, oh, it's called, you know, it's it's called Smoke em If You Got Them. And then that just, sound, we sound like stoners. And then, <laughs> and then um, I'm like, it's a, it's a weekly cultural podcast. And then they'll be like, oh, I have a podcast. And I'm like, I don't care about your podcast. Or they'll be like, oh, that's so interesting. How do I find it? And I'm like, oh, it's a Substack podcast. And they're like, what's Substack? And I'm like, I just, everything is exhausting me right now. And, and so there's a certain, um, like efficiency of description that I don't have like a delivery system of information that I wish I had that I that feels difficult for me. It feels awkward. And 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 I would imagine my being in Dallas, you know, where people are a little less media savvy in general. And you know, this is like maybe talking to my parents' friends or talking to like friends of family, you know. Th- this is who I'm talking about. But even honestly, even with my friends, I would say there's probably a good half of them that don't know what Substack is. Oh, yeah. Some stack is weird. You know, we're uh, it's very familiar to us because so many of our friends, you know, write on it. I've been writing on it for years. We've been kind of But yeah, people people don't. I had to um, when I did that talk, people are like, oh, how do I find you? I'm like, oh, it's, um, it's, it's on Substack. They're like, on what? Which is fine. But they were also older. Um, It's interesting that you said that about Dallas, because I never run into this because either a I'm people I know that I hang out with, they know I have a podcast, so there's no reason to talk about it. Um, I just don't, or I just don't mention it or nobody asks me. Um, I I don't find that to be a hurdle at all. Um, I like having it. I just think, I think it's, I think. I like having it. I hope it didn't sound like I don't. No, 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 no. I know. In terms of an elevator pitch, if people ask me what it's about, which again, I can't, remember if someone has asked me that, but I would probably just say we're talking about media and culture and journalism. It's like, you know, like, like enormous pigeons and enormous gurgling, gurgling. Oh, no, wait. Oh, oh, that's good. Uh Nancy, (laughs) I could do a frog. I could do a pigeon. I could do a horse. Just just saying in case. Will you do a horse? So. Oh my God, Nancy! Yeah, well, city girl. Um, um, okay, I would. L- so, so I wanted to share some of the things that I've learned from you in our time together. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. This is a list of shit I wrote while I was smoking this morning. <laughs> so and I haven't written anything because I didn't know this was going to happen. Yeah, so. exactly. So okay. I'm at an advantage, okay. but a very small one. Okay. Okay. Um, so one of, these are just ideas that popped into my mind. One of the first things that I learned about you is that you're, you're absolutely kick-ass at animal noises, but I'm adding that. That's a recent ad. Um, the idea of make more pie, you know, that's the name of your Substack, Right. But it's also kind of one of your operating philosophies. It is. And, uh, (laughs) I've seen it in action more times than I can count. 
And, you know, the idea of make more pie is that, you know, basically, you know, we're not all grabbing for this, this one pie. You make more pie and then right. everybody gets some, you know, and that we all it's it's a, it's the sort of like a rising tide lifts all ships kind mm-hmm. of idea. Mm-hmm. But the reason I find it really important is that not only because I think it's it runs contrary to a lot of the kind of grousing on social media about who got what. But I also think that both this century, but particularly our profession, is predisposed to a kind of seething professional jealousy that can seep into even the most kind of even-handed people. Um, You don't do that and you don't participate in it. And and, And sometimes I don't like this because I'll bring you something and I'm like, let's seethe together. And you don't play the game. And that is a bummer for me. But sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> it's, it's true, though. It's like a it's like it's like a cock blocking to my worst self. And I I'm so sorry. I'm cock blocking your worst self. Sarah. Mm-hmm. What did I say yesterday? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to drag you kicking and screaming into happiness. Did you say that? Something like that. We were talking about that anyway. Um, yeah, the, the, make, the make more pie. Sorry, very quickly. It's just, it, it, it. I thought of this many, many years ago when this one girl was like, oh, I couldn't do that because somebody else does that. I'm like, oh, it's like saying I can't write a book because someone else wrote a book. It's like, just write a book or just make more pie. Yeah, the zero sum idea of art is a really That's losing absurd. proposition. And it's also true for the world. Yeah. And so um, that has been, you know, something that I learned from you, but like I also feel like makes me better. Oh. And uh, so I want to thank you for that. Um, something you said early on in our conversations that stayed with me was the idea that structure equals freedom. Yep. Um, I don't know if you were stealing that. I think that's a... If I did, I didn't know it. I think it's Joe Rogan. Well, he whispered it to me. Look, <laughs> I whispers it our, in your ear. Uh, look, I'm our pillow talk. I'm not I not suppose he asked me to not, but yeah. No, I, I just, I mean, you, Sarah, can tell you this. I have I have very few possessions. Everything's like in the same place. And I, I, it's not like OCD or anything like that. I just, I need things to, I need to know where things are. And, but I, more than that, just my in my apartment, I need that in my work. Like if I do not, if I can't figure out the structure of how something's going to be written, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with something right now that's 40 pages. I'm moving things around, like literally like, like blocks, right? Until you know that is right. And we've had this conversation a lot. I have this conversation with a lot of writers. Like sometimes you're working and you know, it's the thing that you get when you've been writing a long time is you may not have it right, but you know that it's wrong and it's wrong because the structure is wrong. It's not, you know, you, it's very easy to put pretty words on a page. I don't care if you put pretty words on a page, you need to take me somewhere. You need to take me on this trip with you. And that is, you got to have it the right way. You can't have it all chock-a-block. Yeah. So yeah, structure equals freedom for me. Well, I mean, I think it, it, and the the way that we had it, uh, we're first talking about it was in terms of our day, you know, that writers really can struggle with discipline and getting work done. And for me, when I started writing in the beginning of the day to get it done with, and then, you know, that was a totally freeing thing for me. Absolutely. Um, And yeah, so this ties into the other thing that I think you've taught me. I think they're related, but it's a minimalism. So one thing that uh, I know is that Nancy and I are, are, we have a lot in common, and then we're interesting compliments in, in other ways, a yin and yang. Uh, I'm a bit of a maximalist. Yeah. Yep. I'm a maximalist in design, in um, uh, my writing, like um, 
there's a lot of things that I do maximally, and she is really a minimalist. And, you know, I think for a long time, I thought of minimalism as kind of boring. Yeah, too spare. Too spare and cold. Uh, I will say that that um, your home is a really great example of a minimal environment that feels incredibly warm. Oh, you're so Thank you. This is a, it's a good pad. I got, and you know. Oh God, it's a good pad. You know why? It's because of all the the great people that are in and out of here. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. But it's also because, you know, you don't have 15 empty cans on the shelf that somebody goes, why do you have that? And you go, I don't know, it's for an art project sometime. And I'm talking about myself right now. (laughs) You do. You have all the tea, the tea tins. I have all this (laughs) shit around my house. My mom texts me this morning and she goes, I I got all these seashells in Galveston. And she goes, oh, can I get some of these for my fish tank? And I go, oh, just, just take some because I was going to use it for an art project, but I don't know what art project yet. Like I have these ideas in my head and I really do love creative projects. Like I totally... Man, I mean, we can talk about motherhood another time, whether it would have been good, whether it would have been bad. All I know is I would have been a kick-ass Pinterest mom. That's all I know. It's like I was I was going to like score on Pinterest because I am such a little bedazzling, dorky Michael's MJ Designs nerd. And I love, like I painted my house. I did, um, I painted every house I've ever lived in. Um and uh, I just love little art projects. So I have crap around with this idea that it'll be something someday. Like, yeah, I have 50 empty uh, tea tins in my garage in the corridor to my to my house because in my head, because I once went into a bathroom and they took those um, tins and made like a like a cool painting with it. But I had this idea to bolt the empty cans in there and make like a mail slot. Huh. They're See? a little, maybe a little small though. You th- are do you think they're big enough? Not for, for mail. It won't be mail. I'll oh. keep other stuff in oh, it. But it. I meant, got I it. just meant to give you a visual. Um. So I will say, so art projects, I do one art projects. I bake. And so yeah. what I make, my project then disappears. It's consumed. So consumable art. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, the the last one I have on the list, and then I'll let you take over and compliment me. Um, no, you don't. You it does it doesn't have to be compliments. It's just things that you've taught me or that okay. uh, you know whatever. Uh, is this idea that you say a lot? You say you know whatever you feed it grows, and and I think about that a lot. Whatever you pay attention to grows. Yeah. So yeah. if and, it's if it's somebody saying something nasty about you, or it's your bank account, like you can concentrate. I remember I wanted to save some money once, so I gamified it. I made like this little game in my brain and then that was occupying me. And then I watched how things grew from there. Or we've all done this. Like somebody, you think someone said something nasty about you or maybe they did. And then you you fret about it and, you know, you give yourself a cold sore and it's like, why? Well, just don't. I've been trying the opposite tack with my bank account, which is like, if you don't pay attention to it, will it grow? And the answer is no. I've done yeah. a longitudinal study. <laughs> And it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, I, I, yeah, I just, uh, it's just also just not worth freaking out about things that are not worth freaking out about. All right. So my turn, my turn. Uh, yeah. Well, you have do a little, me, do you me. Have, you have a little advantage here, Sarah, because I did not know that this was happening. So, um, you, uh, well, this is not really about you, but you've taught me that Texas is very cool. I got to say, sure. Texas is 
badass. I, cool. I the more like, you know, when you're a kid, you live in New York City, Texas is like where the cowboys are, right? You don't know anything about it. And then, of course, obviously, I'm not a kid anymore. But I really like going down there. I loved going with you. I loved going to Galveston. And uh, it's a place I want to spend more time. I really, I really like Texas. I want to. Texas really suits you. Yeah, I like it. I like, uh, I want to drive across. I just also, I love getting my car and driving. So Texas off, you know, think about Texas is when you start out driving in the morning in Texas, you're still in Texas at night. I just can never, you can never make it all the way across the state in one day. Depends on, it depends on what corners you're going from, but you got to make it out to West Texas, girl. Like you're going to just fall in love with West Texas. Um, All right. I do know something I admire about you and something you, you pick up the slack for this is that when we're, I've gotten a little better at it because you gave me a little scolding, but you're very, you have the ability when we're uh, recording to also be like looking online, finding a name, finding a date, remembering things, like putting all the pieces together. You can, and I'm sort of just like blathering about stuff and, and it doesn't really, I mean, people kind of get the gist, but it's without the detail and it's really sloppy. You're very, you're much more precise than I am. And that's a good thing for me to try to it's funny how our presentations on the pod are like the opposite of our homes. That's true. Yeah. I just, I mean, I also, you know, I think I write better than I talk. I mean, I like to talk. Talking's great. I'm I think you, okay, I think you write prettier than you talk. What I mean is that you're a particularly pretty writer that has like mm. a poetry in your writing. Mm. But I think you're a feisty talker. I just think that there are a little bit different modes. Whereas I think mine is a little closer yes, together. I agree. I think I talk like I write. Yeah. We had an interesting conversation about, because uh, Sarah and I are both without going into detail, but we're both working, obviously we're both always writing articles, but we're both working on projects. And we were kind of talking about how much you want to be in your project because, you know, sometimes you're never in it. You write an article, you're not, you're, you're, you're there's no first person whatsoever. You mean like a first person piece, first, how much you want to be in that much as to, in, as in like, as a presence. Right. I mean, I've written plenty of articles where I'm invisible completely. I mean, I'm writing it, of course, but there's no, absolutely no reference. And then there's been plenty that I have been. Uh, but the project we we're talking about now, she was, you were sort of encouraging me. And I think you're probably right to be a little more in it. And my my instinct is to like not be in it, like to like say, I want to be in it less. And you said to me that you like to be in it more. I just find it more honest. I mean, it's it's not really about my wanting, like I'm always trying to think what serves the story. And if I feel like I can be a good ambassador to an idea or a larger cultural story, then that's where I I dig. And um, the thing is, is that... Uh, I, you know, it's very funny because people find the first person to be so egotistical. And I actually find the omniscient narrator to be more egotistical because there are very few things that I feel authoritative about to not say, well, you know, I, it's only me thinking this. So it just depends on what the story is and what I think serves the story. Um, especially if it's somebody else's piece, I try to stay out of it, yeah. like a profile of somebody else, unless I feel like the interaction or my reflection on them or, you know, it just it just depends on, again, it's what serves the story that you're trying to tell. Um, I tend, my observations from my years at Salon were that readers preferred first person. That has also been something that has been re- reinforced to me through my years of working with memoir and book publishers. Um, th- people like to complain about it all the time, but... Uh, but in terms of, it's like people complain about McDonald's, but it's still the most popular fast food restaurant. And it's the one that people know. Um, people tend to like 
living in the skin of other people and they like to know who's telling the story. I mean, you know, for me, it's often about like brokering trust with the reader. Like, hey, I'm telling you the story. This is sort of not, you wouldn't say it in this clunky way, but like, these are my biases. These are my, these are my frailties. These are my strengths. Keep that in mind as we're going along. It's a grounding because I'm going to be telling you a story and I want you to kind of like an honest brokering of where I am. So, you know, it's, I, I also, um, I remember interviewing David Sedaris years ago and him saying, um, God, I, he said he wanted so badly to not write a story in first person. He did this like shadowing of an ER doctor or something like that. And he tried to write a piece for one of the big magazines and it was just terrible. Oh, and he was like, I can't do it. And so he had to go back to his thing, which to him at that point, maybe, maybe, I don't know, felt a little bit like shtick, which is like, okay, I got to do the little song and dance to get you guys. I got to sweeten the pot so that you can not notice that I'm not as strong of a writer as every, but everybody else in this, in this magazine. But, you know, it, it is possible that David Sedaris's channels are just far, far more open in talking about himself than they are when talking about other people. You know, one thing I've noticed is that I'm unmerciful with myself and I tend to be a little bit nice to the people oh. that I'm interviewing. And so it makes for a less interesting interview if I step out because nobody's, it, we, we we're missing that friction. Hmm. And so I've learned to be a little easier on myself also because I don't need to be unmerciful with myself all the time and to be a little bit harder on the people that I write about. You know, I think about that line from Almost Famous, a Philip Seymour Hoffman line where he's playing Lester Bangs. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Have you seen Almost Famous? Yeah, but like when it came out, I don't remember. That's at fine. All. I don't remember movies like at all, ever. I never have. Like, Well, one of us yeah, can do yeah, that. That's that's another thing I admire about you. You remember the movies. Well, yeah, and I've been watching the Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. movies. I just yeah. did a very long smoking diary about that. And thank you to the people that, that listened to that because um, he's a really, a really exceptional talent and somebody special to me. But he plays Lester Bangs, the famous uh, film critic, and the young Cameron Crowe, who is named something else in that. But it's, you know, character based on Cameron Crowe's, you know, being a, a sort of prodigy is saying, like, how, you know, how can I be better? And, uh, and Philip Seymour Hoffman says, you know, you got to be honest and unmerciful. Mm-hmm. And of course, in this case, he's talking about rock stars who were who were treated like gods, who were treated like mythologies. Um, you know, unmerciful can be maybe not the correct word if you're talking about a war, but maybe it is the right word. You know, the thing is like unsparing, like don't pull your punches. Definitely not. It's not helping anybody. That's just mushy journalism. OK, I've got another compliment that I can think of. So my uh, my late daughter's dad, Tim, his dad, Will Sampson, some of you know, he was played chief in one flew of the cuckoo's nest and i knew him and he used to say do it then talk about it and i have really taken that to heart because as a young kid i would get a little more like for stupid reasons try to be like braggy or like look at me look at me and all this crap but i don't do that anymore and last or two weeks ago or a week ago wherever i was i was traveling i've been every place this month everywhere man um our friend Yale Bartour sends us something. It's like, oh, Sarah, Sarah's article in the cut. God, it just made me like, it made me want to cry. It made me horny at the same time. It's on. I was like, what? What article? And <laughs> and she's like, I was like, she didn't tell me about it. And I just, I got to tell you, I really dug that. I mean, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to have a piece of first person essay that, I don't know, 1,200 words, 1,500 words. Like, 
that's a big feather in your cap. Eh, sorry, I didn't even tell you about it. And I got to tell you, I loved it. I mean, I know we're busy, but it's also just like, as Yale said, it's like, yeah, I got a piece in the cup, man. Yeah, cool, bro. Whatever. Like, you got to go on. Like, do it, then talk about it. It's something I would like to live all the time. And I appreciated you doing it. So that's cute. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. That's enough nice That's enough shit. of that. That's right. Okay. Um, what have we not done that you'd like to do? Uh, uh, I don't know. It's been such this past couple of weeks. I mean, they've been, they've been great. I mean, Outer Banks, boom, boom, home for two days. Portland, boom, boom, home for a day. You came upstate. Um, I'm kind of like wanting to crawl in bed with a book. <laughs> so what what you'd like to do is to curl in bed with a book and yeah, do the podcast that, that way. Yeah, that's about that's about my speed. I'd right like now. to do that too. So maybe that's going to be our new podcast. Yeah, curl Bow in. of noise. You know, I years and years ago. This is years ago. I had an idea that I wanted to do a video podcast called Reading in Bed, and I would be in bed, and I would have the and I would it not, wouldn't just me being like super sexy, but I would be like in bed and something nice or we'd be sitting on the bed and I would have made like cookies and stuff and I would have an author come and we would discuss his or her book while we ate some cookies that I made in bed reading in bed that sounds really sexy there was yeah. a there was a book interview show where they were in the tub do you remember that no I t- that's that's let's take you one step further were they dressed actually maybe it was a sex interview yeah show. I was gonna say had reading in the tub I mean with the author? I can't remember. It was something very funny. I think it was maybe a New York Magazine video podcast. And um, the it was a sex writer whose name I've forgotten right now. And um, she would interview people in a tub. No, in a I don't remember that. Well, but I don't it, remember if there was water or not. Um, but it was something, something. Okay. Um, the word passion. Oh. What has that word ever done to you? You know, why do you hate it? Nancy hates this word. I, I, okay, I I don't like the word um, passion. I I well, I don't particularly love the way it sounds. But besides that, I think it's probably passion. Yes, it's probably because it's overused. Uh, it's overused, and then people use it because they're going to juice up this thing or they're going to make it sexy. And I just don't know. A very long time ago, I just decided I didn't like it. I've used that word that I can recall once in the past like 10 or 20 years. I used it not long ago because it was exactly the right word in that sentence. So I used it. But man, did I have to wrestle with it because I didn't want to use it. Hmm. Um, I just I just I just don't like it. I would agree with you that it's overused, but I have to say I I love it. I actually also I like the sound of it. Um and I like the look of it. So I just I'm predisposed to that word and I think, you know, it was again, this is one of those interesting things where you were saying last night that you hate that word and I was like, That's so funny. My family decided that was the word that describes me. So um you know And but well I'll tell you the word my mother told me, this is years ago. She said, You're the most unsentimental person I know. So there we go. So we're true to form. You are here. pretty unsentimental. You're not the most unsentimental. Well, you have sentimental. I do. Sides, I have sentiments. Okay. What was the other word I told you I didn't like? You told me two different words. Yeah. Well. But one of them, I'm always even, I wasn't even going to mention it because you're going to get canceled for not liking this word. What? Mentor. Yeah, I don't like the word mentor. And you went on and on about like people that call themselves mentors. Like you were so down on okay. mentorship yesterday. 
I, well, first of all, to me, I could be wrong about this. I don't really remember hearing the word mentor until maybe about 20 years ago. And then again, it's sort of like passion. Then all of a sudden, it was like, my mentor, my mentor, my mentor, my mentor. Oh, I'm mentoring. I'm mentoring, mentoring. It's like, okay, whatever. I just, I told you the story I told you was that somebody I knew who was a colleague. First of all, he was he was managing editor at a newspaper. I was some schmuck freelancer. And then he writes a piece saying, Nancy Rommelman, my mentor. And I was like, dude get that out of there. Do you think you had that objection because it felt like a euphemism for you were older than him? No, not at all. Because it wasn't true. Because it was untrue. I did not, I consider him and still consider him a colleague. Yes, I was older than him, but no, not at all. I I thought it was like fake. It was like a fake way to, I felt like it was almost like he was trying to aggrandize me. I didn't, I didn't want that. I want to aggrandize you. Well, I'll tell you, yeah, I'll tell secret you. I'll aggrandizement tell you. spots I could share with you. Oh my um, God! Um, no, yeah, what vow of noise? Was there another? No, that's that was loud in bed. What was there another? Was there a third word I didn't like? Those are the two I can remember. Yeah, romantic or something. No, I, don't, I like romantic. Oh, okay, romantic's good. Okay. I, I miss I misheard you. I'm glad we clarified that because yeah. I, I like the word romantic. I think it's sweet. It is sweet. I like that word. Um. We met and started talking because of a world where it was hard to say what you felt or believed. Do you think that's gotten better? Well, this is the perennial conversation, right? It's like how this is actually something I would love to talk about. Like, are things getting better? It's interesting because I just went to Portland and I went really expecting green shoots and I got there and that was not the case. You can read the piece and we, we can we can talk about it. But are things getting better in terms of the alacrity with which people are delighted to call someone out or cut them down or cancel them? Um, I think, yes, I think people are people are so shell shocked at the beginning. It's like, wait, what is this thing that's happening? What's mowing down the culture? This Sith that all of a sudden I said like white when I should have said black and all of a sudden I have no gig that I think. I think people are so shocked when that started that they didn't know whether to shit or go blind, right? So mm-hmm. now, then we lived with it for a while because we were sort of people were afraid and then maybe they decided to join in or maybe they just tried to stay out of the whole thing. However, we are now seeing people saying, you know what, this is sort of not okay. And I was at the fire gala, the the um, freedom, what, what is it? The fire uh Free individual. The freedom for individual reclamation rights no. of Ethiopia. <laughs> freedom. Oh God! I now you just said it, and now I don't know. I did this myself, and I don't know what it stands for. And I will look it up once I get off airplane settings. You're just gonna have to keep going. Anyway, um, we went to the gala the other night, and uh, um, it was pretty amazing. The the gathering of people here that were celebrating free speech. And they are making strides. Um, they, they a couple of years ago, I guess they decided they changed the name from the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education to the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Expression. Okay, and when, good, because Google says it's financial independence, retire yeah, early. It's not. Um, and they, they kind of decided to expand from education to expression because we were seeing all of these people and in institutions and academia and all kinds of magazines and whatever. Stepping out, and also the LC- ACLU picked a side. Uh, you know, however many years ago, they just decided that they were going to be on a certain on a certain team, which is completely antithetical to what the ACLU is all about. We don't have to give the whole history of the ACLU here. I will give a link to uh, Mighty Ira, which was about Ira 
glass. Gla- not glass glazer. Oh, you are really, you're, you're trying to make me step in it over there. Um, <laughs> it's about Ira Glass. And um, anyway, Fire's kind of taken that over and they decided they were going to raise X amount of dollars. I don't remember what it was, 78 million or something. They've already like gotten more than halfway there. They are picking up the mantle and they are going out and they've got a big voice and they're saying, no, we're going to fight for these people, whether it's like the Covington kids or whether it's, you know, this particular thing that's happening in school. And people are now, it's like, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to fight this. You've got Barry Rice in the free press. Now, you know, you've got other people that are just saying, no, I'm going to say what I think. I'm going to fight for the things that I believe in. Is that going to we we have the uh, the um uh, the witch trials of J.K. Rowling, okay, which was a very interesting podcast. You should listen to it because it's actually gives more facets to to the conversation, which is always important. That was masterfully done. More, more, more voices in the room. That's what you want. You want more information. You want more pie. You want to be spreading things as opposed to shutting things down. And I got to tell you, people don't like it. People do not want to continually be told no, no. You sit down. You're not allowed to say it. You're not allowed to use that word. You're not allowed to look at that person. You're not allowed to go here. You're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to make Chinese food because you're not changed Chinese. It's like, guess what? You're wrong. I can say whatever I want to say. Now, obviously, when I, I don't feel like going around and saying nasty things or yelling, you know, fire in a crowded theater, fire in a crowded theater. Um, but I remember when I was reporting in Portland, I mean, I would go up. I'm a reporter. I've been doing this for 30 years. I'm taking pictures. I'm interviewing people. And these people running up to me and saying, you're not allowed to take a picture. I'm like, excuse me, I am allowed to take a picture. Just because you decided that you decided for your mission that you don't want to be photographed. I'm sorry. You don't have that right. You know, I'm not walking into a a hospital room where there's oxygen and lighting a match. I'm recording and that's what I'm going to do. And I think that we are turning a corner a little bit. And I mean, I, I have to tell you, I'm I'm never shutting up. I'm just not. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't want to just be loud and obnoxious, but I'm going to report things the way that I see them. There will be people that don't like it. And I'm going to tell you something I haven't told you yet. I was in Portland this past last week. Some people know I had a lot of stuff happen in Portland that wasn't so nice. I wasn't so popular in Portland for a while. I had three people sneak onto my uh, my DMs to apologize. Oh my gosh, you didn't tell me that. Yeah, I had one person even actually post saying, you know, back in uh, 2019 when you got dogpiled, I was kind of all about it. And now I feel like it wasn't right. Wow. That took four years. Okay, you know what? So yeah, guess what? Things do change in four years. People, and it's not just, that's not really about me. I don't care. No, it is cool. I think it's it's really great that somebody was willing to say that because that means, you know how many people thought that and didn't say that to you? It was very, it was very... Really, really, really heartening, and but it's in the let's take it let's take it away from it being about me. It's sort of about the arc of where we were four years ago. It was time to light people up. I think it is. I think it is shifting. I do. Um, again, you know, this is so funny. Oh, you're gonna love this. I was interviewing someone in Portland, and we got talking about something, and I said, "Well, you know," but then again. My name, my middle name is Pollyanna. He's like, yeah, my middle name is Neil. I don't know why my mother chose that. And I was like, because he, he'd obviously not heard of Pollyanna. Oh, he didn't know what that no. was. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, so cute. <laughs> it's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I'm, you know, the eternal optimist. So yeah, I do think things are changing. You know, so I, I, I mean, I liked everything you said. I think I would probably say it a different way. I think, um, I think that 
self-censoring and that um, the censoriousness um, is even more embedded. I think it's going to grow and it's with us. But I think the resistance to it and the counter position has become so much stronger and so much more comfortable for people to take. I think there was a time two or three years ago, you, you were, I think, unusually bold out there in 2019 doing this stuff. You know, it was getting easier and easier with the more and more people that kind of stepped up and joined that fray. And at first it was like, wow, that person's a heretic. And then it was just like, at some point, heretics become just sort of normalized because there's so many of you. And it's like, yeah, maybe this isn't such an outlier position to think this is a little bit weird. Uh, it's no longer going to wash to 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 call everyone just a bigot and small-minded. And it's so boring. It, it, it is. And, you know, I feel a lot less afraid to share my my opinions after a year of this, but also learning that, like, yeah, people will turn against me, and that teaches me something about them. And you know, I have yet to lose someone that I felt like didn't either want to be lost to me, you know, and therefore I, it's not for me. Um, I've, I've, I've yet to lose someone precious and I have met so many. Yeah. The world's bigger. Incredible people. You know, my world has expanded and my, and my self-respect because I was having a really hard time there. Not feeling like, I mean, this is why I probably do empathize with Tucker Carlson to a certain extent. You know, when you you came in and you said, you know, fuck around and find out. And I was like, well, I know what it would feel like to have one opinion and then feel like a different opinion is necessary for your audience. And that that would be such a weird feeling. It's it's a terrible feeling. And yet I think it happens all the time. And, and I think it's, you know, people are incredibly good at doing this. They might not be doing it on the level that he's doing it on. Um, the Trump thing is is pretty egregious. But um, I think many of us are familiar with feeling one way and saying another. So, you know, um, so uh, anyway, that's, that's how I feel about that. Um, Nancy, how does our podcast get to the public? Who... Do you mix it? Well, I send the files over to uh, Mickey uh, in Baltimore, who um, he takes each. So when you're recording, you're recording on several tracks, right? So he takes them and he puts them together. I, I don't know how to do that. I should probably learn how to do that. And then he puts the little uh, intro music and he puts the little, you know, if we have the little marker, if it's not a free episode, and then he puts the little outro music. So Mickey, we love you. And boy, was he helping me. Sarah walked in today. She's like, why is Nancy like in the studio, like trying to work 14 gizmos at the same time? Mickey got us got us up and running because things were a little weird. Um, Mickey's but, done all 70 like episodes of yep, ours. Yep, yep. Yep. I did know that. I was playing a little dumb. Um, Nancy, yes. I bought you a anniversary present. Boy, you are definitely the more responsible spouse in this relationship. I'm like, I was bowling. Sorry, I don't I'm know. I'm totally the girl. You totally are the girl. There's no doubt about that. What did you buy? Did- um, uh, it's going to be a surprise. So you're going to have to close your eyes. Okay. 
I close my eyes. And then move your hands because I'm going to have to set it down in front of you. Wow. This, this is real. Okay, sorry, I don't have a picture of this for you, y'all people. Okay. Hold on just a second okay. and, and tell them something. Tell them how you're feeling right now about to get your present. I'm feeling very uh, cool because I'm going to get a present. I, of course, did not buy Sarah, but, but I did buy you dinner. You did. I got you dinner. Okay. Don't open your eyes. I'm not opening. I want my- you to guess what this is before you open your eyes. Okay. Okay. It's in a box. Yeah. Wow, it's a long box. Yeah. What what's what's in a long box? A negligee? Well, that's a good guess. Uh a dress? Don't open it. Okay, I'm not opening it. Um What's in a long box? A sh- it feels like a shirt box. It does. Yeah, and it's not very heavy. Is it is it something I can cook with? Is it a mandolin? Uh, it's, it's a mandolin. A ma- Do you know what a mandolin is? Not yeah, the- yeah, yeah, yeah. My ex-boyfriend got one. A cutting. They're cool. Uh, am I s- have to keep my eyes closed still? No, you can look now. <gasps> oh my God. Oh my God. Sarah. Oh my God. It's the Charlie's Angels board game. <gasps> Sarah. This is so cool. Ages 8 to 14. We <laughs> just in time. <gasps> Sarah, oh my God. Oh, I'm like actually excited. I know you are. (laughs) Based on the television series. Well, we know what our photo is for this episode. So um, I have to tell you that there is a a downside to this game, which I was very proud to find on eBay. If you open it up, you will see, uh, well, there's the game board. Okay. Well, it looks brand new. Yeah. Okay. It has no pieces. Okay. We're well, going to have to make pieces for it. I can do that. I, I don't. Do, are there instructions? No. We're going to have to make oh, up okay. rules. So we have to actually make up the whole game. We have to make up the whole game. Okay. Okay. Well, it's going to be a strip sort of situation. We're going to invite some dudes over here and it'll be a stripping Charlie's Angels game. I And you know I have the clothes to wear for this. Oh, yeah, I do. I, I have got the hostess gowns. I am Jacqueline Smith for sure. Um. This is amazing. All right. Well, but I could also just look up online and see how they play. How they oh, yeah. Play. You can look up yeah, the directions yeah. online. Or, dude. Oh, wait. There's something on the back of the box. Oh, game rules. Oh, perfect. So for two, three, or four, I'm just going to read the, uh, I'm going to read it. Kelly, Sabrina, and Jill make up the team of Charlie's Angels. Charlie's phone calls give this beautiful squad of crime busters the information needed to capture the target villain. They work as a team, each using her special talents to apprehend the culprit dude we're gonna play this is cool man i'm 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 touched this is cool and then you bought me this i yeah sarah i bought you this present wrapped in pink okay this you really are the wife you're the you You, bought your own anniversary present and you're pretending it's from me you are you telling me you didn't buy this for me you told me that you bought this for me yeah remember i saw it in the window and you said how much i said how much i wanted it i oh wait what it's mine it's yours i bought this for you Actually, it looks very, it, this is a very thing in the Sarah house and it's really nice and it's heavy and it's a beautiful pink color 
And it is a very Sarah Hepler thing. But where did we see it? Did I really? Uh, see no, it? you didn't buy okay. it for me. I know I didn't buy it for you. It's but- in that store that uh, is so cool that's on the corner. It's what's called a bathing beauty, and it's a woman's body. Oh yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, and it's a sort of milky pink, uh, but it's actually I thought it looked like an ashtray, but it's probably a soap, jewelry soap dish. So yeah, I can soap just, dish. We we can we can then again reify who's who in this relationship. So what did I buy at that store? These little square mirror coasters that have look like lines of cocaine cut on them. That was actually the first thing we bought for Paloma Studios. So, oh, Sarah, this is great. So, um, okay, uh, listeners, if you want to give They've us... They've already a, ducked. They're like, I don't... Wait, I, I, know, I, I, I know. They, I, I used they to like totally, this podcast, but I don't know. We died. We died on <laughs> our one-year anniversary. <laughs> um... So, <laughs> so if you want to give us a gift, a uh, wonderful thing to do would be to go to Apple Podcasts and rate us. Um, it is something that is uh, annoying to do, so we don't do it every week. But it is something that really helps out, like our placement and the growth of podcasts, and it just makes us feel better and like more people love us. Um, or tell a friend. Or tell them what Substack is. Make more pie. That's right. Make more pie. And uh, send us some of your pie. Become a paid subscriber. Obviously, if you're hearing this part of the episode, you already are a paid subscriber. But like, hit that gift certificate subscription button. Um, and yeah, pony up. And so we could do more things because we got a lot of traveling. I have a lot of traveling coming up, including the next, uh, we may have another little smoke a meet in uh, Dallas uh, sometime in yeah. June. We'll have to figure it out because we're both going to be in Dallas on stage at the University of Texas at Austin, at Austin, which is in Dallas for reasons yeah. we can't understand. Right. But um, but that'll be, that's pretty soon. That's coming up. and um, In June. I, yeah. So, um. Okay, Sarah Hapla, I'm going to crawl in bed with um with Charlie's Angels now, probably with my book, my uh, my dystopian fiction book. And um, Nancy, yeah, we made it a year. We did. Let's do it again. Jake, guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to us, and thanks for making this podcast so great. And um and we love you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Smoke. 